we couldn't imagine that working from home would ever be a normal and then overnight everything changed and now the, now that whole that's it's nearly the opposite is true and so it's just being open to the idea that anything could change but then you want to also ask yourself well can i change this you know what what change would i like to see and most of the time you can make that change now which is why like you've probably heard me say it before but there's a quote who originally has been a, it's attributed to abe lincoln but apparently his researchers say that he never said it um, so i don't know who said it but it is um the best way to predict the future is to create it and it's like that's that's the kind of where strategy i think meets prediction in many ways as well it's like well here's what could happen Here's what's possible and what is going to be most easy. You pick what's right for you. There's still free will kind of in, in that structure as well. You're listening to Christy Unedited, the podcast, and I'm your host, Christy Gray. Christy Unedited started as a raw and relatable conversation, and it always will be, but it's become so much more than that. Each week, a few special souls dish out some authentic truths as we navigate together the exploration of self. Thanks so much for listening. Let the magic begin. Hi, babe. How are you? And welcome to this week's episode. I hope that Leo season has been kind to you. Energetically speaking, it has definitely been a lighter season, which I've been totally here for. And we're about to embark on Virgo season. And I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit excited because Virgo season is my season. And I'm about to turn 37. And I don't know, I think I was so scared to turn 37 last year. And when I turned 36, 36 felt like a really good age. It was like just over 35. And then as 37 started to get closer and closer, I think I was a little bit apprehensive towards the front end of the year. And you know what? I actually feel really good. I feel so grateful. This year has been incredibly transformative. I think not just for me, but as a collective for all of us. And I'm not going to say it's been like rosy and peachy and we've been showered with rainbows and unicorns (laughs) but um, I always find that through deep transformation comes a lighter and brighter version of ourselves so I don't know I'm just here for it sis so I'm feeling really good and I actually can't wait to share this episode with you this week but before I do let me share with you my pick of the week and you'll have to tell me babe like are these helpful have you tried anything that I've been sharing are you vibing with this because let me know slide up in my dms send me an email I would love to know because if they're not then I can totally run with something else and if they're super helpful then I'm happy to keep curating incredible products and finding them for you all right so my pick of the week this week is so damn red and it's changed my life and I don't say that lightly and there's a reason why so I'm a big fan of a gratitude practice so every morning for like the last five years I always make sure that one of my steps is to take note of what I'm grateful for today and I switch between electronic practice so on my phone and in like a journal format And to be honest, I do more and more on my phone today. I still like write things down and journal when I feel the need, but I love being able to just do things on my phone because it just makes my life so much more organized. 
Now, I stumbled across this journal by Intelligent Change. Um, You might remember a couple of weeks ago, I shared my pick of the week being their productivity planner, which I adore. Um, But I used to also use their five-minute journal, which I loved. It was great. The layout was amazing. It was a journal that you could tap into morning and night. Um, But it was a journal. And I like doing things electronically. So there's an app that I've kind of gone back and forth with a lot over the last few years, which is called Happy Feed. It's super easy easy you just put your three things that you're grateful for in it but I stumbled across this app like two weeks ago I'm so excited to share it with you it is called the morning app and it's linked in the show notes below this app is like the journal but in electronic form and they're not related in any way so I'm going to share with you what's in it and how awesome it is so in the morning when I wake up I write down the three things I'm grateful for for the day. I then write in the next section, there's three areas and you write down what would make today great. So you're almost visualizing your day ahead. You then write down your daily affirmation, right? So I'm a powerful fucking woman or I am attracting abundance, whatever your daily affirmation is for that day, which I adore. Then you come back and you revisit the app in the nighttime and you write down what are some amazing things that happened today and you get three opportunities to do that. And then what could I have done today to make today even better? (gasps) Total game changer. You get a little quote every day. You know what? I feel now whole. because it's like the journal that I was using but in electronic form and it's just rocked my world so you'll have to give it a try and let me know what you think all right let's dive into this week's episode Melissa is one of my most favorite people in the world I just adore her so much she is my business designer she has become my great friend and we just need incredible people like her in this world that have like really unique ideas, they're super creative, and they're here to help us just seek a new perspective. So I'm going to hand over to Melissa as this episode we're unpacking the 12 archetypes alongside her edition, which is her lucky number 13. Today I'm here with Melissa from Bombo, and Melissa and I became fast friends uh, on the gram and um, lo and behold this is her second time on the podcast but also too Melissa has not only become my friend she's also um, my business designer and I just am actually really excited about this conversation we're having today Melissa. Yeah, oh, me too thank you for having me on again like your this podcast so I listen to like every little bit that comes out I just love this podcast and every time I speak to you like it's just growing and growing and growing. It's amazing. So thank you for making a space for me. Uh, you know what? I feel really blessed because it, A, started as a creative outlet and B, it's become like such an instrumental part of me growing the business. But I said to um, one of the guests I had on last week, I was like, is this real life? Like, I do I pay myself and my company to actually chat to people that really inspire me? I'm glad. I love it. I also, it's like I only thought of this when I was listening to it last. That yours is the only podcast where I listen to the intro song every time. I don't, I really enjoy it. Like in all the other ones, I'm like, yeah, no, I've heard this before. But in your one, I'm like, yeah, I'll listen to this again. <laughs> Maybe um, the, the beat I chose has some like hypnotic um, elements yeah, to it that I didn't know. 
feel like really calm and like excited. I know it's like anticipation. Oh, you know what? That makes me so happy. And I, what makes me even happier is that you and I um, are going to be talking about archetypes today. And it's actually a really exciting conversation from, I don't know, this is just my perspective, um, is that business, but even personalities in life. I think of when I, with my L&D background, is that I love nothing more than personality profiling. And I think like it's, <laughs> yeah, right. And and it's when you move into business um, or whether you're exploring starting a business or whether you have a business, it's almost like being able to identify the archetype of your business is almost a way of like personality profiling if your business had like say a soul or an essence does yeah, that sound absolutely. woo and well like it does but it's also connected to something very i think a lot of archetypal psychology sounds woo but it is it is from the behavioral sciences where the whole concept came about so like archetypes in general created by carl jung um and this sort of idea was a universal pattern of behavior that everyone understands and there's there's lots of different patterns of behavior that fall into different archetypes like we've all got a concept of the lovers and the rebel and all those kinds of ideas um and within that there's lots and lots and lots of different sort of possibilities within so there's another thing called a like a complex which you might have heard that term sort of before so a complex is how you as an individual feel about an archetype and that's ah. unique to you and then you have the archetypes kind of overall and so as a business, when you're trying to find your business's personality and your business's soul, it's what you're doing by aligning it to an archetype, by kind of matching matching to it, is that you're kind of knocking on that part of other people's brains in the sort of collective consciousness. And the, we all have those same ideas of, you know, where you, for example, if we think of um, the, you know, well, magician archetype because of you and I, and we think of magic and those kinds of ideas, what you want to do with an archetype is knock on the door of magician in people's minds by looking like the things that we associate with magician. Um, and then you can, as we've explored together, you can go deeper and deeper and deeper with that to a very specific level where you find your own voice, but within a generic territory, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's so funny that you said that, like you can have a complex because that's exactly what I had. Like um, for anyone listening, I was like, I want to be the explorer archetype because the explorer is like super rebellious. And then Melissa goes to me, she's like, um, I don't know if you're really like a Patagonia. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's because we're, we're dynamic as an individual. We have, all of the archetypes are differing times, differing degrees. Like an archetype is much more generic than an, than an individual. But that's actually why it's so amazing for branding because if I was to, to get to know you, Christy, and all about you in an instant, I, ca I cannot. I can't, there's no way that I can understand all of you so quickly. And we make a brand so that people can understand us fast. And that's what tapping into an archetype does. It goes, hey, you've already got this understanding. We're kind of like this. Actually, you'll like know this because you love Shan Booty as well. So this is sexologist Christy and I love Shan Booty. And she has this like technique for dating for describing yourself, which is like, I'm like this meets this. So like, I'm like, I don't know, Rihanna meets 
Dr. Phil, or I can't remember what it is, I don't think it's that. But, um, you know, the idea of mixing these two together and what you're doing is you're referencing two archetypes and it's the fact that you reference two together that shows your uniqueness within. You're not just saying, I'm like Rihanna. You're saying, I'm like this, but this is where I differ kind of thing. And that's the same sort of idea. It's tapping into an archetype. It's so funny that you even say that because just this morning I'm in the process of rebranding and we're just trying to get the typography right so that then we can move forward from there because the overall aesthetic and the theme is just so incredible. Um, And it's funny because I was chatting to my friend um, yesterday because I was trying to gain an understanding of what am I really trying to convey here? And I said, I'm almost refined, but straight. I am like cool, but a little like, I don't know. I can't even remember that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's, it's exactly the same methodology you just explained. It's trying to like merge those two archetypes together to try to, I suppose, define what you're trying to, what are you trying to think When you get there, when you get to that spot where you're like, okay, this is my brand's complex within archetypes. Cause that's kind of how we explore it differently where we go, okay, here's the archetype. Let's narrow it down to the most core emotion that's the best mix of pros and cons, like it, it explains the competitive advantage of us and helps them, our audience, see us in the way that we want and trigger those emotions. But then what you want to do is kind of go, okay, now within that space, how do we create our own unique voice? So another company couldn't come along in the same industry and use the same archetype. They wouldn't quite fully get the nail kind of on the head there. And that's where we use that, like that device. And in a way you could see the device as a, as creating a complex around your brand as well. So it's not, you know, I'm not just magician archetype. I'm specifically fortune teller and within fortune teller, it's futurist fortune teller. So it's like building, building that, um, that part or carving out the part that's just you sort of within that. Yeah. And that's okay. So when you first explained that to me, I was like, what is this? Like, what is a device? <laughs> like, I was like, because uh, I've done all this work with Melissa already. So I have an archetype. And Melissa, you're going to take us through all of the archetypes today. Um, but then the sub-archetype or known as a device is like how you then bring the brain to life. And I remember when you first said device to me, I was like, holy shit. I don't even know. Because you play in a realm which I'm not even, I'm just, I'm not even accustomed to. (laughs) So it's like, um, yeah, so I'd love us to maybe unpack the archetypes and then maybe loop back and, or you might even integrate some of the sub-devices throughout or so forth so that everyone can understand. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, don't feel the sort of the weirdest thing about archetypes. And this is why I like talk about tropes as well. If you go and look at information about archetypes, the best way that they're usually explained is just by giving a glimpse of a story that expresses that archetype because yeah. it's very like, it's, it's heavily symbolic. And you can't say this is what a symbol means and understand the meaning. You have to see the meaning. It's like proof is in the pudding. You can't just say this is what is good. You have to show that particular goodness to kind of get it. So a little bit of the kind of descriptions and things are quite, um, can be a little bit vague in that sort of sense. But from the strategic point of view, we do want to be very clear about it. So within 
within um, this kind of typically 12 archetypes for branding, although more recently I've started using 13. And I think there's many more archetypes than just that that are relevant for brands, but I don't want to start um, expressing them before I fully understand how a business could kind of use them. So the main ones we have, um, what do I start with? <laughs> um, <laughs> do you like how... I know I've like thrown to you. I'm like, um, right. So today we're going to talk about all the archetypes. <laughs> yeah. But then they're, they're also like different, but then there's crossovers within them um, as well. Hold on. I'm just going to find a little picture so I can just see them all right in front of me. And that way I won't miss any of them. So that everyone has the chance to hear the archetype that's maybe right for them. Hold on. Here we go. Okay. So we've got rebel, which is also called outlaw people or renegade. People use different terms to describe um, that archetype, but it's essentially says like, fuck the system, <laughs> go your own way. Like um, it says break the state, what, what the status, this status quo, it doesn't work. It sucks. And we're going to throw it on its head and go this way. Um, and so it's in general, all the archetypes often in addition to whatever you're trying to communicate will also attract people that um, are either like that archetype or want to be more like that archetype as well. So that's an interesting kind of consideration when you think, do, you know, do I just pick the one that's most like my personality for my brand or do I actually, you know, there's kind of that extra layer of like, is this actually the right one for my business based on who I'm trying to attract and to speak to? So yeah, definitely rebellious. We all you know, understand what that, that energy is kind of like. And when you think about bringing some of these ideas into your business because it's we've got a brand system here but we've also got the business system behind it and to use harley davidson as an example they took um, because a rebel says the rebel doesn't say this is what we are it says this is what we are not so they had made this amazing ad that had you know your classic classified ad for like a car yeah and it says you know female driver basically never drove this car, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it was like, you'll never find this on a Harley. And it just had a pick, a cut out of one of those ads. And it's like, absolutely. It's like, this is what we're not. And it brings in all of that kind of badassness and rockstar-esque um, attitudes that we associate with it. And so rockstar and, um, you know, goth or counterculture, all of these are different devices, for example, within the archetype of rebel, like rebel as well as brands like Harley Davidson and these kinds of things. They're all different flavors of rebel. Yeah. Even redneck could be seen as like rebel, I think, in some of those aspects as well, like kind of, yeah, counterculture. I'd like to be a rebel, yeah. but then I wouldn't want to work with rebels. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then the other challenge as well, depend like with business and we, if, especially when with purpose-driven businesses where you're like, this is the change I want to see more of in the world. And that's often a very powerful place to start building competitive advantage. But the thing with a rebel is when you, if that thing you want, if that change, if it worked and your change started to change the world and started to change perspectives on a large scale and it becomes the norm, it's no longer rebellious. And I think that was the funniest thing about Trump's ascendancy is he was this like rebellious um you know figure and then once he becomes the president he is the status quo now so yeah. it just kind of it's really deflating at that moment so you've got to think of these challenges as well when you're looking from you've got to look at it at the, as the business and what the business model needs and the brand and what the brand needs and how that might play out over time when you're thinking about those pros and cons 
Oh my goodness. But, that's um, why Trump I, is my favorite example for that. <laughs> this is why you're a business designer. Cause I never would have thought of that. Like that is insane. He's an ear. I think he's an Aries too. He actually has some similarities in his birth chart to mine. And I was like, Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't go for the rebel because he won't have that moment of like, you'll change the world because you've got all the Aries fire. Yeah. And then when you do change the world, it's not going to be deflating. It's going to be empowering. We're not going to be like, oh, now it's a bit old. Like that moment <laughs> won't happen to you. So that's good. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, they're definitely not, uh, just for anybody listening, our natal charts are definitely not the same. It was just a couple <laughs> of placements. I went, oh, okay. I need to watch that. <laughs> yeah, this is where it could go. You know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Um, other archetypes. So we've got magician archetypes. So both of our brands have different devices within the magician space. Um, but basically it's, if you go and look online, it says that power is what it communicates. I don't really think that that's the best expression. I think transformation is it. Um, and my favorite other than Disney, which is the most magician kind of brand worldwide, my favorite example to use is Dyson because the hand dries, your hands go in and they come out and they're so dry and like, wow, what is that? That feeling that's what we associate with all magic. So that each of these archetypes has a key emotion that drives the overall archetype. And then we kind of want to find the ones within. And sometimes that can be quite challenging as well, because we might go, you know what, there's two archetypes here, or maybe three, and they all have, they all meet my pros and cons in a pretty good way. So what we can do there is either pick the one we like the most, because then we, we're going to be most creative with it. We're going to be able to run with it the most. Or in the case of having two that are really close, if we love them both and they're both good for our business, we can kind of go, okay, is there a device within that meets both of these needs? So I had a client where um, they were both magician, magician and innocent archetype offered strong benefits and ideally we'd like to capture both of them. So we looked at the device of fairy. We evolved that fairy then to meet her competitive advantage, which I can't share, but the device of fairy is both innocent and and magic and so you can that's another way of kind of finding where you fit within these territories sort of as well mm. it's so good because even if i think about um so my, I'm a magician brand, as you mentioned, and then Melissa and I worked on my device and even like that process of really understanding what that sub archetype looks like for my business gave me, it, it's so interesting when you put a label on something or you understand it at a really deep level, it becomes your like inner compass. It makes your business really clear and it brought my business to life. So now every decision I make is with that sub archetype in mind, which is exciting. I love that. It's the only thing I've ever found that's enabled the people that I work with and myself to fully understand my brand in to the point like I often see people they, they'll get their brand developed by like amazing designers amazing copywriters and that's also really important but what happens is every time they go what is right for my brand they have to ask somebody else and the archetype means you get your own brand and so I always like see clients doing things with their brand that I would have never imagined it makes so much sense because they're like I get this and I get to, you know, you're the only one that's going to live your business every day. And so it's important that you are actually able to create with it and use it and be inspired by it. And I think archetypes are quite useful for that. Yeah. We would have tropes as well. 
Yeah. And I want you to share a little bit about that as well, because, you know, as soon as we did the exercise about coming up with my sub archetype, that was the first thing I did because I've now got um, a oh, beautiful girl by the name of Joe who did the copywriting for the podcast, but every other bit of copy I've done myself. And so she'd done that last year. And so as soon as I was like, right, I'm getting my branding done. I really would like to Joe to help me with a few things now, because obviously I can start delegating and outsourcing, which is really exciting. And I'm getting my branding done. And that was the first thing I looped in um, both of the girls plus my intern Everybody was then across all the information that you covered off with me so that they could all bring this element of my brain to life in their own unique way, but we could all meet in the middle. I love that. I love what, um, I can't wait to see um, both, both the words Joe crafts for you and also the brand Heidi's making for you because like everyone brings their own, their own complexes to, to the archetype, but creatives are obviously bringing it that in a creative way. and so. It means everyone that touches your brand can be inspired by it and can can make unique things that you never imagined either. Because like I'm I'm just here to kind of push you off in that direction, and then from there, like you can really go anywhere with it, which I think is really amazing. Yeah, but that TV tropes, I didn't even know that website existed. Yeah. It's t- I can't. It's- I was doing archetypes long before I found that website, um, and you know, as I do researching things all the time to see if I can make things easier or work stuff out, I stumbled across this page. It was in a totally, I was, it was for some completely other different reason. And I was like, oh my God, I just discovered a dictionary for archetypes. And so what it is, tvtropes.org literally lists like all different TV shows and films and um, character descriptions for um, what's called a trope. And so a trope is essentially any device within within an archetype like a device and a trope in many ways are quite similar just device refers to the fact we use it for branding instead and so as an example um in the trope of magician there's all these different uh, sorry in the archetype of magician there's all these different tropes within and so um as an example one of them is bigger on the inside that's the name of the trope and if you think about mary poppins opening her handbag huge on the inside if you think of um harry potter going to the quidditch and like his uh, ron's like the weasleys set up their tent and it's just an ordinary tent and they go and it's bigger on the inside like that's a real trope that we associate with magic the ability for something to be larger on the inside triggers our feelings of transformation and magic and wonder and awe and all of those other kinds of things so literally tv tropes just describes all of them and how they link up to each other it's kind of like a wikipedia but for this and so when i saw this i was like i'm sure this is not what it was created for but oh my god it's so useful (laughs) it kind of helps you understand what an archetype is as well in a different kind of way yeah that and that explanation you just shared was amazing because as soon as you shared that with me i was like ah i understand this now yeah and like you know a wand, what are the features a wand has to have to be really wand-like? And just all these kind of weird things that we don't even know we think, but actually it's just describing all the kind of newer, newer networks in your brain that you already have associated with these ideas and just kind of lays them out for you. And essentially from the brand kind of side, we then will kind of pick and choose which of these has the best kind of pro and con mix um, for us to then kind of twist to our own <laughs> to our own devices and our own benefits as well so tv tropes is a cool one i think really with archetypes because i think screenwriters filmmakers 
cinematographers, they, they know archetypes to a much deeper degree than branding does than the brand world does. Like firstly, a lot of the brand world doesn't even use archetypes at all. And then, um, of the ones that do, none of them, everyone just goes to that. Here are the 12 archetypes, magician, you know, and they, they, they don't go any further than that. Like the device thing that I do is inspired much more by film, how filmmakers develop a character to be dynamic and trustworthy in short spaces of time, because I think, I think they nail it much more than the brand world kind of does. And I think it's good to get out of your own skin that way. Yeah, like I remember when we were looking um, at mine and like I am obsessed with The Witcher and we were trying to just like land on a device for my brand and I was like, oh my God, the mage in The Witcher is like so badass, but she's like magical. And like when we actually looked into it and I was like, oh, I love everything she represents, but she's not quite right. But it was nice Mm. because that helped us get to what we ended up landing on in the end, which was awesome. It's like a directed rabbit hole journey. So instead of like just going on YouTube and watching weird videos and ending up finding the darkest corner of the internet, we're kind of like, okay, this is roughly where we're trying to get to. And you kind of use that as a bit of a compass to find even, it's like, you know what your brand is internally before working out the archetype to match. So there's a bit of like to and froing, I guess, but we, you know, we really love the badass aspect of, um, of that mage. And so it was like, okay, well, the reasons yes for this badass, the reasons no for this, you know, X, Y, and Z. And then we use that to go, okay, then, well, how about this? So it's a bit creative and analytical kind of at the same time. Yeah. Should we jump into the other archetype? Yeah. <laughs> I'll talk about the magic archetype all day because it's like my favorite. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I love it. And there's so much you can do with it as well. It's like I have quite a few magician clients because obviously magician brand tracks other magician <laughs> clients as well. And we're all doing totally different things with it. So it's not, um, if you're doing, if you're using archetypes well, you should be able to create something very distinct sort of within that too, which I really love. Um, I feel like I understand my brand more when I hear about other brands and things as well. I'm like, okay, it is this and it's not bad. And you know, it's just mm. very useful. Uh, we've got, so hero is another archetype <laughs> as well. So that says, um, it's either the customer is the hero and your brand is their kind of sidekick or your brand and product is a hero, but essentially it's here to save the day. Um, usually the, the hero reports to a higher power, like the big, they call it the big good is the name of that trope. Um, the hero, whatever the hero exists to save the day from is the villain. And so there's this very much like battle aspect of hero brands, um, which is really amazing and very much a sense of like courage and getting on with it and moving forward. Um, Nike is the kind of biggest brand worldwide, most known for being hero as well. Like literally just do it. So it's like, get it done. Like that's a very hero energy. We've got the lover archetype. So it says to our customers that they are the most special person in the world. I'm here just for you. It's like having someone whisper a compliment that you'd never heard before and makes you feel really good because you're like, yeah, I am that. Like that's what a lover, you know, how lover archetype make their customers feel. Very much like everything is a gift for them and them only, which I think is really special. Um, we've got Jester archetype, lots of candy brands and toy brands and things with Jester, and it says connection through laughter. So like M and M's, Skittles. I was gonna say Skittles from Shrek. <laughs> yeah, and it's just silliness. We're just we're here to laugh, have fun, be silly. There's no nothing else um, than just that pure joy. 
We have the every person brand, which I call the every person brand. Very weirdly, it's called every man everywhere else. And it's the ultimate inclusive brand. So you'll see why <laughs> that's problematic. <laughs> so um, every person brand, uh, it says you belong. There's a place for you here. Um, we're just like you. We've thought of you. We've thought of every, you know, everyone and you, you're welcome here. You belong here. It's the safe space of brands. Um, and you'll often see them be very politically correct, um, very aware, um, switched on, very careful about use of language. And the, you know, the impact of that is approachability, extreme approachability, which is awesome. I like to use Jennifer Lawrence, the actress, as an example of like a person or her personal brand is very every person. She, I love like she'll got to get up onto the red carpet and that like, trip or a makeup will be a bit smudged or something. And it's, it's just like, Oh, if she can make it, I can make it. And there's just something really, really approachable kind of there. There's also this thing from behavioral science. Cause I love to you know, bring in my methodology into everything. Um, something called the Prattfall effect, which basically says that when a celebrity or an authority, like a teacher or something makes a mistake, we feel much more um, sort of, we feel that they're more approachable and more human and we're much more likely to be kind to them because of that mistake. Um, so it's like, you know, if a teacher that we associate as being really formidable and powerful and um, knowledgeable, kind of put them on a pedestal and then they trip on their way to the like lecture podium, we're like, oh, you're, you're more real. And like suddenly, you know, it's, it's very um, approachable and very inclusive. And so that these, these ideas connect with biases and things um, as well. I there think is Lady no, Gaga. Like Lady Gaga is a, would be every person. I was thinking when you first started saying that, because she's very much about inclusivity, but then she's almost at a pinnacle that maybe is a little untouchable. So maybe she's not. Mm, well, so there is... Um, I'll jump past one and go, I'll come back to it. But there is the ruler archetype, which is probably the most untouchable of the untouchables, the queen of hearts of archetypes. But basically it says like, you have made it. You are the uh, boss. You are okay. in control. You don't, it's precision. It's um, excellence. It's control. <laughs> and we see it a lot in like really high end brands. So you know, your Pradas and Rolexes and all that kind of thing. It's just very like sleek and, prestige um so mm. maybe she kind of represents both of those aspects kind of as well because yeah, she really has made it as well yeah <laughs> so a lot of celebrities will use a bit of that too that's why i use jennifer lawrence as the example because yeah. it's, it's the opposite in some ways of that archetype um there's the caregiver archetype which a lot of us would associate with mother or parent um archetype like or ideas as well so the caregiver says i'll give you what you need not just what you want um I, I i live to be of service to you so a lot of humanitarians a lot of health brands will often tap into um an archetype and you actually see that a lot so from the business side and the brand side you each industry tends to have a bit of an archetype that it might naturally kind of fall into as well. So we were talking about ruler just now and prestige lawyers as an industry fall into that quite a lot. And so if a lawyer were to rock up with a really crappy car, we would feel a little bit like, oh, because it's not the archetype of ruler. It's not the things that we associate with that idea of what 
it should be. And that can be, if you're unaware of that, it can be quite detrimental because it means people will lose trust that can you, are you really a lawyer if you have a shitty car, even though it should bear no, no connection. We, it shows how much we are driven by our emotions um, before we ever, we rationalize later and make, you know, make decisions, decisions based on emotion first. And that's, that's why we use it in branding to trigger those kinds of emotions. But as a lawyer, you might deliberately want to break that rule and to go for a really different archetype in the same space, you might want to go to every person because everyone else is prestige. And so you might deliberately have the kind of beaten up car to say, like, to express humbleness, to express inclusivity, bring on more of that general Florence. And that's a way you can build competitive advantage within a space as well. So that's kind of another consideration. Look at what does the industry look like versus the individual as well. Very psychological, isn't it? Us human beings, we love labelling everything and understanding and unpacking shit and rationalisation. Like We cannot look at clouds and see nothing. You know, it's kind of humans that we do that. And also very relevant, um, we're saying about personality types before as well. So um, the Maya Briggs, mother-daughter duo created that. They were Carl Jung's prodigies. Yeah. So like very much, they're only looking at four aspects of, you know, personality is huge and diverse. That's why there's so many personality tests. Not one of them is supposed to not met like astrology. I think it's a bit different because it's systemic and it's complex and there's a lot in there. So it is actually looking at all of the self, but I think nearly every other personality type is just or test is looking at just an aspect of self. And so people are like, oh, I don't want to be pigeonholed or that doesn't sound like me. It's like, it's not supposed to sound like all of you. It's supposed to sound like just these parts of you. Mm. So when you differ from someone with the same type in that metric, it's likely to be connected to one of the other metrics or multiple of the other metrics as well. So like we are very dynamic as well. And it's just all about seeking to understand more of yourself, which is why astrology is really cool because it looks at all of it. Well, I think that's what attracted me to it because of the fact that I was always really into astrology. And I think when you understand more about yourself, it's just, it just creates more confidence in your life and certainty. And, you know, it's that relationship you have with yourself. But I think what I've loved the most is like, I adore human behavior. Like, why do we do what we do? And why do we make the decisions that we do? And what's our relationship like with ourselves? And how does that, how do, as we grew up as children, you know, with that subconscious reprogram, subconscious programming, sorry, like how does that impact us as adults? And astrology allows me to unpack all of that almost instantaneously. And not that I share all of that plus everything else that you can unpack in a natal chart because you'd literally like, I think it's really important that you are able to meet the person where they're at and what they require then based on what they're wanting to explore. But it just takes the guesswork out and it gives me, and it minimizes the time of analysis that needs to happen. Like, Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's just um, highlighting that with any system, you want to highlight the parts that are most relevant to that person at that sort of time. And that's why, like, um, you know, for example, I'll have about, say, with business strategy, I have about sort of 60% of that process that everyone has to go through each of those elements. It's completely different for each person, but they have to go through that to to have the whole kind of picture. And then the other kind of 30 to 40%, I'll 
from each of those kind of areas, I'll look at what's, what's the challenge that they have at the moment and pick the tool that's most relevant to them kind of at that time. And I actually look at some of the personality modalities as well to go, kind of go, um, and I use Maya Briggs, not so much for which four letter combo are you, but um, there's another thing within that called a functional stack, which is which order do you make decisions in, especially the first two. And that helps me go, okay, I could give you any kind of tool, but which tool are you going to get the fastest? Because you're going to get the most out of that as well and kind of bring that sort of along. And I love that um, I think people are starting with strategies and business starting to get more of a systemic idea when they're thinking of themselves. It's not just black or white. We're not just this or that. We've got to find what's right for us, what's right for our customer and um, what's right for the kind of context that we sort of exist in as well because you mentioned um, with astrology meeting people where they're at and I think one of the things we really look at with archetypes as well as we think about the objections related to a, a particular target audiences so they're grouped using this methodology from this amazing behavioral economist in Melbourne called Brie Williams she she made this model and it just simplifies you know this like hundreds and thousands of biases and heuristics out there, but you kind of groups all of the customer objections into three categories. You might have one, you might have all of them. Basically they're apathy. So I didn't buy because I just didn't. It's laziness, boredom, whatever. And so the idea is you, those brands, you want to excite the person out of the apathy, but you don't just go, okay, which archetype is the most exciting? You want to go, which is the most exciting for the, this particular person? So you want to understand that customer as well. You have choice overload, they're just overwhelmed, they don't know where to begin. And then you have anxiety. Um, I've got an actual concern around that. And so it's like, okay, if there's a highly anxious group, you might want to go for a caregiver archetype because it's very soothing. And they're kind of questions, you, you know, you don't just ask what's the most, what's the best for my competitive advantage, but also what's the best for the audience and what's the best for the market and find the kind of juicy spot in the middle really yeah I was gonna find it I was gonna say it's that sweet spot isn't it it is it's a sweet spot you want to find it and it's like a bit of a journey to get there um and that there's a lot of that kind of back and forth where you don't feel like you're getting anywhere but each time you make a decision along that pathway I think you're getting a step closer and a step closer and then when you find the one that does meet all of those needs in the in the best mix of those needs then it's like oh great I've taken a bet. And I think people, when they look at strategy, they're like, tell me what I should do. And a lot of consultants out there will use very cookie cutter strategies as well. But it's like, you don't want to just be told you should do this. Strategy is actually a bet. It says, okay, we've looked at all of these things and we've weighed up all the different pros and cons. And this, this mix of pros and cons is not like, we're not, it's like this mix of pros and cons is what we think going forward is going to work best for us. And that should be the point of strategy is because you want to make a plan from it. So, okay, I'm making a plan based on this and all of these variables. And it means that if one of those variables, especially a significant one changes, so too should your strategy change. You know, you shouldn't be just stuck with it forever if it's not working for you as well. Mm, I think that's really important and not just in business, but in life that you're open to change because I love change and I do embrace it probably more than the average because I just like 
excitement in my life. But, magic. <laughs> yeah, magic. Let me just light up my life with a ton of magic. Um, I'm not saying it's the right thing though, because sometimes I can just jump in and change something because I'm sick of it and probably haven't given it enough time as well. But I think that when you are able to embrace change and see things for what they are and not allow them to go too fast too far past their expiry date, it kind of works for the age we live in today because we are living in 2020. We're digitally connected 24-7. Like one minute we're talking about one movement, then we're onto something else, and then we're onto something else. And I think in a very fast-changing and rapid-paced environment, you kind of get left behind if you aren't open to a change today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like, you know, they say most of the jobs of the future don't exist yet. And I think you really want to get open. This is where they're being like futurist comes in handy. Pretty much the first thing you learn because everyone's like, oh, predicting the future. I'm like, mm. It's like, well, we're not, that's not really the point of futurism is to say this will happen. It's to accept that literally anything that we take as normal can change. For example, it used to be, we couldn't imagine that working from home would ever be a normal. And then overnight everything changed. And now the, now that whole, that's it's nearly the opposite is true. And so it's just being open to the idea that anything could change, but then you want to also ask yourself, well, can I change this? You know, what, what change would I like to see? And most of the time you can make that change now, which is why, like you've probably heard me say it before, but there's a quote who originally has been attributed to Abe Lincoln, but apparently his researchers say that he never said it. <laughs> so I don't know who said it, but it is um, the best way to predict the future is to create it. And it's like, that's, that's the kind of where strategy, I think, meets prediction in many ways as well. It's like, well, here's what could happen here's what's possible and what is going to be most easy. You pick what's right for you. There's still free will kind of in, in that structure as well. You're talking you to myself today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're talking, okay. You're talking to myself for a couple of different reasons. If we, you just asked me about astrology. Yes, that's mm. correct because astrology is free will. And as I say to anybody I work with, I'm not psychic. Yes, I feel I'm intuitive, but I'm here to help understand you, give you the right information. But also like sometimes I can read a natal chart and they may have already worked through some of the, like if I'm just looking at their natal chart and not looking at like a progress chart or current transits, like they might've already worked through something that I may ask them a question about, or it might be about, okay, well, this is what I see like in regards to current transits or your progress chart for the next year ahead, like this is where I would encourage you to expend your energy. But at the end of the day, I can say that it's completely up to that person, whether they want to create the future they envision or whether they decide to not focus on it. And then they just get hit the next time Saturn activates their natal chart, like either, either. <laughs> it's coming anyway. And there's that element between like, probability versus prescriptive so it's yeah. like this is more likely to occur but it doesn't mean that it will and yeah. so it's really interesting a lot of trend agencies and so i follow these kind of agencies to um gain new insights they'll they'll release at the start of the year like the trends for the upcoming year and the, nearly all of them made a different version for um after you know 2020 happened the way it did and many what they did was the these were the new trends and there weren't actually very many. Most, most of it, it was, has the existing trend accelerated 
or stalled, but it never went away. So it's, it's really probability, I think, is really kind of important there with trends as well. And then the other ones like unmet needs. I have this technique of like, there's many different ways to predict trends for different reasons, but I have this one I call like credible collisions, which is the idea that two trends in a related sort of space. And the example I always use is pasta and cheese because I was really happy with my prediction because I told people in advance and they were like, you said this. And I love, I love that moment <laughs> was, um, yeah. So pasta and cheese, they're two things that are somewhat related, but also separate. Um, and at the same time, quite a few years back, they both started accelerating for different reasons. And I was like, okay, we're going to see heaps of stuff happen at the intersection of these two things. So the two things that I predicted that didn't happen, and there was one that I didn't predict, um, cause the trend also manifests in different ways in different industries or different kind of areas. So I was like, okay, at home, we're going to have like homey carbonaras and that kind of thing take off in food delivery, carbonara, massive at this time. Um, makes sense. Like we want yeah. very, like pretty much the most ordered food on, even in, regardless of what you want to eat when you kind of sign up to it um, on a given night, like the most ordered food every year is like a margarita pizza where we very much actually end up buying only the basics every time. It's the same kind of thing every time, regardless of like what we think we, we like. On mass, as humans, we tend to do that. In restaurants where we're looking for something we can't quite make ourselves, um, much more, I'm less, not necessarily looking for comfort and indulgence all of the time, where um, we saw mac and cheese take off, which I was predicted as well. And so a lot of people would be like, there's the mac and cheese trend, and then there's whatever's trending on uber eats that year menu log but actually i was like these two are connected they're part of the same collision and so they took off at the same time and then there's another one where it's um which i didn't predict which was um in events cacio pepe the pasta cooked in the parmesan wheel that as well at the same time so it's like yeah i don't know trends and predictions are weird well but you can kind of use that yourself and go are these things connected they influence each other they go together and if things are happening in both areas at the same time unmet that might kind of come up sort of next we've kind of gone off I've gone off the archetype <laughs> kind of a tangent <laughs> no I'm here for the tangents like that just stuff just blows my mind like I'm so interested in it and inspired by it I just wouldn't ever have time <laughs> like to it just to dig into it but trends really fascinate me because they can be really short-lived but then they can also stick like they can be an overnight trend or it can be something that's really long that hangs around like for years like it's all dictated Absolutely. On and they evolve some evolve into yeah. each other yeah. When they hang around for longer. So something that was, you would have thought would be a fad and overnight thing suddenly evolves. And then there's a whole category of stuff you can buy connected to it. And it's like, what is that? It's um, like fashion. definitely as a business. You do, what is it? I was it's like, what? Oh no, sorry. You keep going. Oh, I can't remember. Okay. Um, sorry. Yeah, you go. There you go. <laughs> I was going to say fashion. Fashion is one of those things I find so interesting. It's like every, every, well, they're not even millennial. I think they're Gen Z are now wearing like 90s fashion. But I remember like when I went through, when I was a teenager wearing like 70s fashion, how the decades of fashion are cyclic. It's weird. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you see um, brands that accidentally tap into trends. So like with, with businesses, I think there's four categories, which are my methodology that like contribute to success. Um, in the, this is like the business model, not, not so much the brand, but you can 
kind of evolved the same thinking to brand as well. But essentially, like you wanted to have that magic and that interest. You wanted to have you wanted to think about the context that it's in. So that kind of chess like competitive space, you want to look at behavior and how it actually works. But then the last one is trends. Cause I would see two businesses that looked exactly the same, but one would go viral. And it's because they were tapped into the cultural zeitgeist that was relevant to their particular audience. But it also happens with brands that don't realize, and this happens in fashion um, heaps. It happens in foods. So it happened with 90s street where champion, which has been around for a long time, they had this revival where people were suddenly going back and buying lots from the brand suddenly because they were relevant again and they didn't they weren't aware of it until their sales just kind of picked up or like um when when uh sort of smart waters and like um flavored spiked waters and things started taking off again um la croix in america they they started selling really well they've never really jumped onto it properly i don't think they understand that this is what's happening but their sales, yeah, we've gone through the roof or did go through the roof because they became relevant kind of again. And so that's, you want to think with your brand as well. Your brand is saying, I am what you need. So like understanding doesn't mean you have to jump on the trend and be exactly the same, but you have to understand why it is that your audience find those things cool so that you can understand what kind of cool is important to them. You don't need to then copy a trend. You just need to be the same kind of cool. And I think that's another kind of way you can sort of think about branding and another way you can think about archetypes as well. Should we go on to the rest of the archetypes? Yeah, please keep going. (laughs) I'm here for it. There is creator archetype, which says to its audience, you are the artist and we give you the paintbrush, we give you the tools. So like Lego, Minecraft, Adobe, Canva, all of those very much say that. And creators can also be artists themselves. So when we think of those brands that like cool illustrators and things that are always just pumping out different amazing magic all the time, very much a creator idea of like, you'll always see something innovative and new and like cool in that sort of hyper creative way. And creatives, we associate with this idea that they're always going to make something we didn't expect. Um, And they're also going to make whatever they want. (laughs) Like they're just going to kind of go off and be self-directed as well. So we we expect the unexpected there. And that's, I think, innovation and expecting the unexpected are both tied, I think, quite strongly with creator archetype. There is innocent archetype, which we associate with children a lot as well. And also with like angels and heavenly kind of images. So um, whilst once again, there's many, many different subcategories, we often see brands say like Dove looking very angelic and kind of peaceful or more like wholesome and rustic. You can playful, you can have your cake and eat it too. Not as funny as the Jester, but like Ben and Jerry's, they do humorous stuff, but they're also very like blue skies and um, just joy. And it, it just essentially innocent archetype says peace, peace, peaceful feelings, you're safe. You can trust this. It's careful. It can be a little bit naive. So each of these, archetypes um, and devices within have cons as well. So um, if you're in a particular area where being naive could be detrimental, say lawyer again, you might not want to go with an innocent archetype because people might not trust that you can actually do what you want to do. And also you want to make sure when, say you did, you were a lawyer and you did choose to go with the innocent archetype for other reasons, each archetype also has its set of cons that you want to be aware of. Okay we need to make sure we don't come across like this or minimize and put things in place for that as well. So magician archetype, it's um, 
not seeing things because they were an unknown unknown. So just the role of the unexpected, when we do something for the first time, when we create massive transformation, unexpected things can happen. So it's understanding, you know, how that fits in um, and also not wanting to come across as manipulative as well. <laughs> so we can, we're the architect of all of this transformation. Um, we can then start being seen as you know, the puppet masters as well. And so unless you want to be seen that way, that could be a con sort of for you as well. So we, what we want to do with an archetype very much affects um, what archetype you might kind of choose. We have the sage archetype, which is like the Yoda of archetypes. It's wise. It says knowledge, truth can be found here. It's seen in a lot of like, you know, Stanford, social innovation, your universities, um, like your Bloomberg's, your Harvard Business Reviews as kind of, um, you know, scholarly havens of knowledge, not Ted, Ted's probably, you know, it's a different archetype, um, more, more probably closer to creator, but very much Sage brand says you can find the truth here. It's very authoritative. It's very expertise, a lot of detail, a lot of debiasing, critical thinking, um, Wikipedia? like brains, pardon? Wikipedia. Yeah, Wikipedia, absolutely. Brains okay. and knowledge. It, so it, it makes sense that over time, because Wikipedia used to be a really unreliable resource. Yeah. It was very <laughs> But then it started bringing in things where you could lock features and things. And that's because part of the fundamental reason that we come to Wikipedia is because we seek the truth. We seek to know what is. And so it makes sense now that they show their references and things at the bottom. It's not just because references are scholarly and they want to seem legit, you know, it's because they want to show you that actually, no, you can trust this. It is truth, but not trust in the way of an innocent brand, trust in the way of pursuit of knowledge and kind of excellence there. So we think of like, um, you know, the old sort of scientists or academics with all the scrolls and the books in the library, like a lot of those kind of visuals are very much, uh, even though science is probably both magician and sage, depending which way you go with it. Alchemists are <laughs> very much magician, but, um, we have all of these implicit kind of associations with, um, with each of these territories. Yeah. And then the last of the official 12 is Explorer, which you were talking about before. And it's very much going off into the unknown. Explore, it can be exploration of self or exploration, exploration of the world. So it definitely is relevant. There is a huge aspect of Explorer to what you're doing for sure. Um, it could be refined like Space Explorer. It could be super rugged. Patagonia definitely is the worldwide or like Jeep, those sorts of brands we would associate with um, you know, going off into the unknown and exploring the idea of pioneers. Um, so pioneering um, and seeing what's out there, like in the movie Into the Wild, that would be a very kind of just gone off in pursuit of something. So we have a kind of a goal, but mostly what, what we really have is freedom. And so freedom is the big thing that we associate with that archetype. So it's not um, breaking shackles and fighting the system in the way that the rebel is. It's leaving the shackles far behind <laughs> and they're not relevant anymore to us would be much more kind of the explorer. And then there is, so that's the 12, but then there's the archetype that I've started using and I, there's definitely others, but I don't want to talk about them until I get them to a really refined point where you could use it in branding and I'd be confident in advising about it. I haven't come up with a good name <laughs> for it yet that expresses it, but I'm either calling it wild self or animalistic. 
um, but essentially it communicates connection to instinct. It's very primal, the idea of ancestral roots. So if you thought about what's closest currently, explorer, magician and hero don't really capture that territory. And so you've got to understand that someone just decided they were 12 one day and I don't know if that's really, like I think actually Carl Jung created 12, but it's like that wasn't his actual focus at the time. So with a lot of these models, we've got to understand that every model is, is not correct. The model will never express the true complexity of a situation. Any diagram, you know, there's a quote by a statistician, all models are wrong, but some are useful. That's how to think of it. You use it in the way that you found is handy for you. And I found for me that the 12 archetypes didn't express what I saw as the true possibilities for branding. And so that's why I've decided to start exploring what others kind of might be. But definitely with Wild Self, very much this idea of um, ancestral roots, instinct, being primal, thinking of like that like war paint or that eye of the tiger kind of feeling like very, very wild. And it could be inward journey wild or it could be like sexual. It could be um, uh, nearly even warlike or um, that spiritual kind of ancestor connection. It's like spiritual. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You kind of get this idea. We associate, it's interesting that wildness and transcendence are kind of connected. And so like currently I think magician's probably the closest we've got to transcendent, but not, It's not. Um, yeah, not really. So mm. I think that's, that's the one I'm adding. And <laughs> we'll kind of see what happens kind of over time as well. But the idea is, I th and I think you've got to be open to, if you're describing something and say with maybe, tropes if you find a trope and you're like this isn't expressed by one of those 12 archetypes maybe it's maybe it's a different archetype that hasn't been articulated yet so don't feel constrained as long as you can describe it enough to be able to use it to go forward make your own model then I think don't be feel constrained about what's out there either be a rebel <laughs> yeah carve your own path yeah because when you were talking about your um number 13 I was thinking about there's a lot of like spirituality slash astrology accounts online like I think sister's village is quite big and there's a lot that are like talk about intuition and like you know that inward wild journey that a woman goes on it's very much feminine empowerment and as soon as you were talking about that that was what was instantly came to my mind would be that kind of fits more into your archetype then yeah because absolutely and you can you can definitely there's crossovers there's not like it wasn't like the mind when the I don't know all of our minds have these fences in between the archetypes that doesn't exist so the idea of saying 12 is actually very arbitrary um even saying magician or hero like there's like as, as I said there's if you look at the device level it's infinite and we all have it's if we think about a photo and we hashtag all the things that are in the photo um you know that's not actually how you use hashtags but you know if you think about it that way each each individual device has a bunch of tags and so it's like which tags are relevant to me or where i'm going and use that to kind of inform your brand and that, that actually is probably um relevant to bring up ideas of single-minded proposition and category cues and things so in branding there is much more than just archetypes as well um an archetype is super potent for emotion and quick communication and um does a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of instant communication to prospective audiences but then there's also like a single minor proposition if you've ever heard of the term um unique selling proposition they're kind of the same sort of deal but the idea of um the why the unique why that only you can say 
about why someone should, you know, hire you and things, all of these are ingredients in that kind of brand system as well. Um, and some of them you leaned on more heavily, depending on which brand creator or brand strategist you work with, they'll all have their own kind of mix. But um, the actual lines between all of these areas are arbitrary. The idea is they work together as a system and that that system works for your business. Mm, it's, I think it's so interesting that it's like being open to so many different modalities or perspectives or, I don't know, like different techniques that you can use. And it's just like personality profiling. There's so much more to it than just four quadrants of the spectrum or 12 archetypes of a brand. It's like getting really clear on what works for you or what's right for you right now. And then exploring all of the hidden possibilities or the gray in between. Cause I think about astrology, right? And if I think about mainstream astrology, and this is why I will refuse to do predictive in the sense of here's an overarching theme for this, you know, zodiac sign, which I can do, but it's more, okay, what is uniquely you? Because if I think about it, there's 12 zodiac signs, there's 12 planets, there's 12 houses, all determined based on where they are placed is based on your unique natal chart, which is unique to you. So they're all, that's 36 combinations as it is. Mm -hmm. Then there's all your aspects in between of how everything communicates with each other. So it's like, again, it's just nothing's cut and dry. Nothing's black and white. There's always magic within the gray, but you have to be open to exploring it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also like I see so many people running with, um, say, strategies and ideas about themselves and you know, that just aren't working for them. They don't like it and it's just a grind. And it's like if, if that's what any model ever in any part of your life is for you, just like abandon it. That's not, that's not your one. Find and go out and find sort of the one that is. And I, I always hate that with um, most things, but with, it's like one of my, you know, main values is I love um, deliberateness. <laughs> and we, in school, I would always hear people kind of, especially when it gets to that point of like working out what you're going to do after school. And it's like such a big like, question and such a big load. And the, the ubiquitous answer is what do you like doing? Well, in the Western cultures, the biggest answer is what do you like doing? Do more of that. And it's like, hang on, you're currently expressing that you don't know what you want to do. And the answer is do more of the same. Like, that's bad advice i'm sure <laughs> but i like there's just what you should do instead as with any idea you're in the slow hunch kind of m moment before an idea forms so what you want to do is expose yourself to new ideas put new ingredients in to be able to find a new answer and then give yourself time for you to connect the dots and for those things to kind of simmer around and that's that's what's actually going to take you closer to the answer you know not just a little bit more of the same stuff <laughs> why do you think it's so hard as human beings to be okay with change <laughs> yeah i don't know because then it's there's like i guess comfort zone but it's not really comfort zone if it's sabotaging yourself i am not i'm not really sure because mm. even the ones of us that really love change will show resistance to change in other areas so it's like what kind of change are we comfortable with versus what what we aren't but i guess maybe on a primal level it's just this is pure conjecture by the way um, like security 
yeah. ultimate safety. Which would make sense yeah. from a like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like mm. with safety and security being the bottom of our foundation. And also why we look at what other people are doing. So if we don't know, we'll go with the most popular option, unless we're rebellious and we want to be counterintuitive as our identity. So there's always exceptions to it as well. But um, yeah, I guess on some level, there's yeah, a sense of like safety. We were talking recently about, um, I can't remember what it was in relation to, but probabilistic, um, sorry, prob- is it probabilistic bias? I can't uh, remember the name now. Oh, like unconscious bias? Yeah, but a specific bias where it's where people are more likely to believe in conspiracy theories and then more likely they're like, when we shake the dice extra hard because we think it's essentially the bias says a big outcome. We think that a big outcome will be, or a big thing that happens must have had a big cause as well, which is not correct at all. We, that's, we, but bias-wise, I can imagine that the origin for something like that was, well, if we see giant devastation and we assume if by default we were assuming that it was a small challenge then we might have got killed more often so like I can kind of get where that might have come from but these these biases affect us in so many ways that are counterintuitive as well and the way our brain evolved so long ago the world was very simple we didn't have this level of information and so the reason our biases lead us to the wrong answers more often than not these days is because it wasn't built for the level of information that we're kind of dealing with all at yeah. once and we get overwhelmed and go and buy lots of chocolate at night or whatever whatever it might be <laughs> whatever our version of escapism really is um yeah, yeah that's really interesting because i see people do this especially a lot in that spiritual community it's like i get that thoughts create actions and manifestation like helps us to I think these are really powerful things and I think they're very positive things but there also needs to come to a point in your practice whatever your practice looks like where you actually admit or take ownership over the fact that you also are the one that has impacted the change you are the one that's taken action at the end of the day because you cannot sit on a hill up in the mountains, <laughs> manifesting to a goddess or God or whatever your deity is, uh, deity, I think it's how you pronounce it, and think that that's happening just because you asked for it. Like, I think that as human beings, we have to give ourselves more credit for what we're actually manifesting into our life because our mm. actions are actually what's helping the whatever we're calling into occur much faster. Yeah. And it's, it's those kind of extremes as well. It's not like life is just happening to me and I have no choice at all. There's no agency. I'm obviously probably also depressed. Um, and, you know, it's never all wheel of fortune, but it's never all pure agency as well. There is chance. It's a combination of all of it. And it, there's, there's not a specific rule book to kind of go off, but it's like where you can, if you don't like something, try and use your agency to the best of your ability and be resourceful. And then beyond that, also surrender to life just being what it what it's going to dish up for you anyway you know find that Sweet space spot. between i guess yeah i thought of the bias name it's oh, proportionality yeah. bias yeah Melissa and I have so many conversations about so many different things almost every day and I just love it because she's always hitting me with something new and then I'm giving my two cents on something else and it's just thinking each other random personality (laughs) quizzes (laughs) 
love it. Oh my goodness. The one that you sent me this week was amazing. I've actually been thinking about that for two days now because um, I, um, I, I have in my business and I really encourage all of my clients that I work with to do this on the reg, which is values, just analyzing your top three values. And um, that was even something that I used to teach in my learning and development career because I think it's really important to make sure your values always align to your goals because if there's a misalignment, that normally means you're probably going to set yourself up for failure rather than success. And mm. you want to make, you know... So yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's that like I'm doing a mind blowing gesture right now. <laughs> it's that why. You have to define your why. And the easiest way for you to do that is make sure your values align to your goals. Um, but uh you'll have to give everyone the name, Melissa, but you sent me one this week, which was like Oh yeah. I found it in a social media post. Um and I just, just did it for funds and, and then it was a game changer because I've been building a list of like my values and trying to you know rank them and all that kind of thing and most of them were either a subcategory of these other values or were much lower down the list and so it's called it's by um demartini it's like demartini values values hold on demartini value determination process so if you search that um there's a test you can do you like give your email and do the test and Christy, do you want to explain? You're good at explaining these kinds of things, like what kind of what you do. Yeah. So, and I'll make sure I, um, I link it in the show notes below for everybody. Cause I definitely encourage you to put like 20 minutes aside. It will take you at least 20 minutes um, to work through it and do it because I I had some profound realizations and I do a values exercise every six months. So for me to have those realizations from a values exercise, I was like, this is some next level shit, what I'm so here for. So what it does is it actually takes you through different layers, um, like within your life. And I think it's like, if we label them just simplistically, like health and wellbeing, um, organization, um, career, whatever. Yeah, exactly. And you have to like type in the, like the top three values of, or the, the top thing, three things that come naturally to you, right? Like how, like say for instance, what's something that you think about every day. And so for me, it was like career, but I didn't actually land on career initially. I actually put business, but that was one of the realizations that I had because after you complete, I think how many questions are there? Are there 12 or 15? 13, 13 questions. Yeah. And so there's 13 questions and you work through those and then you have to color co- coordinate them so that you can like group them into categories because you'll actually find that you'll find synchronicities within your answers. And so there'll be... Yeah. And I realized like my second value. So my values, uh, they cross pollinate with what I already had, but I was able to label my values differently. So I've been definitely manifesting in like money and business a lot this year. I actually think money is important because it's an energetic exchange and I don't have any problems with defining my worth but I also do still feel a little bit of guilt associated with wanting to acquire money like you know there's still something I still have some a subconscious block I need to work around about being rich right but then when I actually looked at that exercise and this is what I loved is it's actually money is a part of that 
but my value is actually career. That was my number two. Career is important to me because it's an essence, a really big part of who I am and the work that I want to do in regards to transformation. So yes, money is a part of that, but that's not actually what drives me. It's the career element. That's such a good, I knew like your learning and development background, like you explain, express things so well. What really threw me, because each thing you're like, okay, it's not technically not surprising because you know yourself. And so it's like, in that sense, it's not surprising. But it's, it, when I saw my answers grouped together by the colors that I was like, no, these, I mean, these are all connected and these are all connected. It was understanding for the first time, oh, these things are one. And the, the, the commonality, the common thread between them all, I could then use that as a term. So I had like, you know, strategy and business and all these things coming up. And it turned out the thing that connected them all, this was my number one value. I was like, I didn't realize this was my like number one value. I thought maybe like seven or something was unique thinking. Just boom. I was like, oh, like, cause I love weirdness and I love, and I was like, oh, okay. This is all one thing for me. Like, oh, I mean, it helps you understand it so much better. It's like, that's yeah. empowering. I think unique thinking hands down just knowing your natal <laughs> chart like that is like that is like i like how you've framed that though it's not just about being cultivating ideas and thought processes mm. it's actually the uniqueness that comes with the thinking i like but that. before that i like i would have seen my rebelliousness as separate um and i would have thought of those as two different kind of things and now i'm like oh i'm only rebellious insofar as this Mm. Or, or I, yeah, it was just, it was a mind, it's a good one to do. The yeah. Martini value determination. <laughs> yeah. Everybody that's yeah. listening needs to jump on and do that very soon. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for taking us through all of the incredible archetypes and just giving us your unique perspective on all of those, <laughs> which I have loved listening to. But I suppose for anybody that's listening, I'd love you to be able to share like, not only where you, people can find you online, but you do far more than just take people through archetypes. That's the one thing I probably love doing the most with you. But like you really take business, like you are able to do this really unique deep dive into brands and businesses. And so I'd love for you to just share a little bit about what you actually do at Bombo. So I guess the point of what I do is I, I think that currently out there, there's too many boring businesses and like businesses become this like dry thing. And at the end of the day, if you're a business that looks like, you know, think of like the fish and chip shop in, in your like local town and every, everyone has the same fish and chip shop. Right. And I think it's really hard to be successful when your business is following a, the cookie cutter strategy. And it, there's absolutely a place for it. But if you think the second another same, same fish and chip shop opens up next door, what happens is they both have to share the pie suddenly. There's less pie for both. And when you make a unique business and a unique brand, you can have your own whole pie. And someone else can also have their own whole pie. And it's much more fun and much more kind of interesting. And I think becoming successful is more easy. So essentially I'm here for interesting business or as my value might suggest, unique thinking in business. But um, in terms of ways you can work with me, I divide everything into kind of two worlds and those worlds link together. The first world is business strategy. So applying all of these kinds of ideas to your actual what you sell and how you sell it. And then brand strategy, which is when you know that and you have all your competitive advantage, how do you communicate all of that magic to someone in the most crystal clear way that you kind of can? 
And then I do one-to-one calls and things where it's like, I, you know, if you're a smaller business and you can't afford like a whole kind of package right now, that's a bit, bit much or you're not sure yet with your idea, come in for like a, you know, one hour call. And we just, of all of those different layers, I just work out, okay, this is the one for you right now. Let's work on that. So it's kind of, I guess, an explanation. Does that make sense? <laughs> and it's been the funnest thing that I've ever done in my business. Like, I think that, Melissa, you made business not so daunting to me and more fun and you were able to bring back the creativity that I think I really missed, which you can get really bogged down in not being able to see the forest through the trees in business. Well, I don't know. I think some people just... Yeah, <laughs> like it doesn't have to be that way. And I think if you're doing business that way, I think there's benefits. Don't get me wrong. It's, you know, I have to do my accounts too. But <laughs> but at the same time, I think if you hate the process, it's just a real chore. And like, why can't why can't it just be just as fun to come up with the idea as sort of to have it? So thank you. I'm glad that that feels that way for you as well. Like it's really fun for me. But then it's like, oh, am I just? Is it fun just because I'm excited about, it or is it actually fun? <laughs> so I'm glad. No, it's absolutely fun. Oh, so my final question to you is, is what is an epically small moment that you've experienced lately? Oh, so I love this question, by the way. You started asking this question and every answer, I'm like, oh my God. So I was thinking about this and this isn't a moment, this moment happened to me about a year and a half ago, but this small moment, has stuck with me for a really long time. So that's the one I'm going to share, which was, it was really early in the morning. I was heading to my like office and I was, just, yeah, it wasn't quite, it was a good day, but I wasn't quite like awake yet. I was like, you know, sipping on my a drink and you know, that kind of morning, very cold outside. Anyway, there was this young guy, teenage guy who had like choppy, short, interesting, like blue and pink hair. And he walked up to this really, really old woman who also had this pink, the same, it was like this, they had the same haircut and they had this moment. And I was just in the background like, oh my gosh. And they were just like, I love your hair. And they like, they connect and they were like, the, it was the most unlikely kind of connection you could imagine, just two total strangers. And I just loved I was just it was creepy I was staring in the background but it was just so beautiful it's like oh we need more of that like just that every day thanks so much for tuning into this episode if you love this conversation please rate it review it or send it to somebody that may vibe with it or you can subscribe to stay up to date with the latest I'll catch you next time